the womb of Christmas. Installment number three on this Christmas series. Do you love the word? Come on, y'all can do better than that. Do you love the word? It's alive and sharper than a double-edged sword, so Lord, speak to us. The first week in this series, we talked to you about the word to the womb, where we learn that it's what we say. It's words that get the kingdom activity going. Kingdom doesn't move on what we do. It's on, it starts with what we say. Last week, we talked about the family in the womb or of the womb. And we saw that when a man or a woman speaks the word over their family, something special happens. God confirms his word. And his kingdom is advanced in our lives. Our children are touched. Our marriages are touched. Our grandchildren are touched. Like Zechariah, when he took little John as a little infant and he prophesied over him, the Bible said, this morning, I want to talk to you about the way of the womb. And when we look at the Christmas story, everybody, we don't look at it just from a historical perspective to wax romantic like a Hallmark movie. We see this is the word of God. Everybody listen. The way God comes to redeem the world has never changed. And we see the template of Christmas. Everybody listen. What he did to bring Jesus into that first Christmas. The way he did it is the same way he's doing it now in our church, our families, and in the world. The template of Christmas, and this is really just the understanding of God and the way he comes to the earth. Three things. The first one is God has a plan to redeem lost people. He, that's his enterprise. Not to bless people necessarily. He comes to reach lost people. Even Jesus said it. Number two, God speaks. He says words. He talks to people about what he wants to do in them and through them to reach lost people. And it is in them and through them that he does it. He doesn't keep coming. God doesn't do the work in the earth. He does the work in people, and he uses them to do number three. God partners with men and women in his plan to redeem a lost world, and he doesn't work independently from mankind. And his plan requires servants. Somebody say the word servants. Everybody say servants. And he comes to find servants that he can, who will work with him, he doesn't work independently from mankind, and of course, certainly mankind can't get anything done without him. Luke chapter 1, we're going to read this again, and I'll make some editorial comments for us as we work through this passage. And I want you to especially notice at the very end how Mary responds to Gabriel. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, this was the same angel that six months earlier had told Zechariah that his older wife would be pregnant. Verse 27, he came to a virgin pledge to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. There's some labels here that start to point toward this is no ordinary baby. This is perhaps the Messiah. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. 
The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. How many of you want to find favor with God? How many of you are not sure because you know where this story is going? You want favor, but not this kind of favor, right? The angel said, you have found favor with God. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son, capital S, of the Most High, capital M, capital H. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How? Mary asked the angel. I'm a virgin. And the angel answered. Maybe as she said that, Isaiah 7, 4, said, prophet said, he'll come through a virgin. The angel answered, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Everybody say, overshadow you. This is the template. Servants who are open to the power of the Spirit working in them, God wants to overshadow what they can do, their capacity. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, we talked about the beauty of how God works in families. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive She's now got a baby bump that's six months in process. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Listen to that. Her response is simply, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Everybody listen right here. That's all she said. And that was the perfect answer. It's two sides of one coin. She says, I am the Lord's servant. She doesn't say, I will be, I was, I've considered, I know I should be. She says, I am, present tense, the Lord's servant. And that's what God's asking from all of us. And secondly, she said, May it be unto me according to your word. And that's the other side of that coin that gets the miracle of heaven in us and through us. She says, I'm the Lord's servant and I receive your word. And I would submit to you today, every sermon you ever hear, that's what God wants you to say. I am not, I will be, used to be, thought about, will consider. I am the Lord's servant. I receive that impossible word that is beyond my capacity. And the angel, Gabriel, who had been busy in Luke chapter 1. I don't know how the heavenly host operates exactly, but we know that they have some level of ability to choose and make, they're not like spiritual robots that are just in heaven saying holy, holy, holy all the time that they, they have a volition. And so, and we know that because Satan chose to not continue to worship and he was kicked out of heaven. And so Gabriel gets 
two very important messages to pass on. One is he goes to Zechariah, and we talked about it last week. And you can imagine Gabriel going, wow, this is significant. This is what they've been waiting on, the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist, the one who would come in the spirit of Elijah. I can't wait to see who it is that I'm supposed to give this message to. And he walks in, and there's Zechariah, and he gives that message. And you know, we talked about it last week. Zechariah doubted it, and then he wasn't able to talk for nine months, but Elizabeth did get pregnant. And now, six months later, I don't know how all the other angels in heaven treated Gabriel, but you know they were like, this is the moment, the Messiah. Who's going to get to go make that a Gabriel? Wouldn't you know, Gabriel. Gabriel comes down wondering, who is this Mary? What is she going to look like? And when he gets there and gives her the message with conviction, because that's what messengers do, pastors, angels do. They deliver God's word, even when it seems beyond possible. And when he gives it to her and they have that discourse and she says, how? And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to do it. And she says, I'm the Lord's servant. I received that. Gabriel had to go. Well, no wonder. No wonder her. It has to be her. It has to be somebody who is a servant, who understands the power of serving and receiving a message from God. I wonder how many people here today are sitting and waiting for God to do something. When he has sent a word to you, and all he's asking for you to do is receive it and serve it. Both are not easy. They're both challenging. But James 1 tells us, don't be hearers of the word only. Be doers of the word. And when we look at Mary, the 14, 15-year-old mother of Jesus, wow. She's going to need to serve. Mary would have to serve. She would have to serve. First, she's got to go tell her fiancé, Joseph. Then she's got to go somehow to try and explain to her father. Then she's got to carry a baby for nine months. And then in the last days of her pregnancy... She's got to get on the back of a donkey and travel 60 miles to Bethlehem and then give birth in a barn or a, a cave to the Messiah. Then she has to raise Jesus, Emmanuel, God. Can you imagine putting God to bed every night? Fixing God breakfast? Seriously. This is not like Hokey Pokey, Norman Rockwell, Thomas Kincaid, Hallmark stuff. God came to a womb of a 14, 15-year-old virgin. Then she's got to raise him and be responsible for him. And we see how less than perfect she and Joseph are. They leave Jerusalem sometime and they get out two days later and they realize, where's Jesus? Our son, God, the Messiah. 
And you know Mary, she put him in Joseph's care because the father is the one who lost him. You know that. But Mary, she would have to serve. You don't get to do great things in the kingdom without serving. She would be doubted, judged harshly, accused, ostracized because of the jealousy of the favor on her life. Has anyone ever been asked to do more serving than Mary, the mother of Jesus. Thank God she has favor because she's going to need it. You see, serving, brothers and sisters, done right, it'll stretch you. Serving in the kingdom, done right, real serving, it'll make you walk differently when you start carrying Jesus in the intimate parts of your life. Serving... It will humble you and humility. Humility will free you as God helps you to get free from your pride. You see, done right, real serving is serving in secret with no need for recognition. You see, brothers and sisters, I have a tough assignment this morning on the Sunday before Christmas to preach to you about Serving in a selfie world. So here Pastor Chuck comes again with spinach, vegetables, collard greens, when everybody ate a donut or two in the lobby. I come to bring you some meat that can change your life, change your Christmas. The Bible has literally hundreds of verses that talk about when you serve, God leads you to freedom. What you serve tells the story of your life. Psalm 116, verse 16, the psalmist said, Truly, I am your servant, Lord. You have freed me from my chains. 1 Peter 2, 16, Live as people who are free, as servants of God. Galatians 5, all this stuff about the flesh and the spirit and the fruits of the spirit, the way the enemy keeps you in bondage. Verse 13 says, For you, brothers, you were called to freedom, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. And that's the plan. As we serve, the thing nobody wants to do that doesn't come natural to our flesh. And it calls for great spiritual maturity. But when we do the Bible, when we serve, we're actually free. It's incredible. Three things I want to mention to you that are simple today about serving. The first is this. Serving humbles you. And that's a great thing. And all the people said amen. Or faked it and just grunted serving it'll humble you and the longer I'm in kingdom service the more I realize humility is the number one requirement for usability in the kingdom of God and I'm not talking about just with them everybody wants a microphone most everybody wants to get on the stage I'm not talking about that but I'm talking about as a wife as a husband as a mother 
as a student, as an employee, as an employer, serving. If God can work in you, and only, only God can bring true, authentic humility. And he does it through one of two things. His preferred method is through servanthood. God gets you to serve, calls you to do things that you have no reason to think you can do them. He does them through you, and you become humble. Or he takes brokenness, rough places, and that God gives grace to the humble, but even God opposes the proud. Humility is an amazing thing, how God works it into our life. But listen, don't be confused with that word. Please listen. Humility is not the same as insecurity or shyness or lack of identity. Humility is honesty. You know who you are and who you're not, what you can do, what you can't do, who you belong to and who you don't belong to. Humility is not insecurity or weakness. And confidence isn't necessarily pride. Strong spiritual identity, strong awareness of sonship or daughtership is not necessarily arrogance or cockiness. You see, in Jesus, John chapter 13, Jesus was the perfect picture of real humility. In John chapter 13, at the Last Supper, he gets up from the table. He walks over to where they didn't think he belonged, where the servants hang out. He takes off his robe, picks up a towel and water. And now all of a sudden, they're sitting there going, the wrong guy's doing the humble thing. And if you follow it out, he washes 12 disciples' feet. And I know we've heard it so much, and now it's accepted but if you were there that night, one of the disciples had to be thinking, does he know who? He just said, Peter, you're getting ready to die that you even know me before the sun comes up in the morning. And you're going to wash his feet? Later they would find out what Judas did. Judas, you've already made a contract to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus, I thought you were omnipotent. What are you doing? But you see, real humility is okay being seen as something other than strength, naivety. When you serve in kingdom service, you will be misunderstood, you will be judged, you'll be second-guessed. It comes with the territory. Um, Candace and I, being in pastoral leadership for as long as we have, and seven less than perfect children, we've been humbled a few times. I remember Daryl Rice is the one when he was pastoring over at Mount Perrin North, the campus pastor. His daughter went in one morning in Sunday school, and they were asking for prayer requests. And he's the the little girl, Jill, was his daughter, and they asked prayer requests, and she said, pray for my mommy. She's got to work in the nursery today, and she hates it. <laughs> Years ago, this is ministry leadership. That's a funny story, but when you go, 
the people realize you're not perfect, your family's not perfect, then you can get real ministry. When you stand up and go, you're right, I'm not perfect, they're not perfect, we're not perfect, but he is, and he uses imperfect people. One of the craziest stories was our oldest son, we started learning the danger of letting the pastor's children hang out with people's families in the church. Uh, Barry Piacenti over here invited Brandon, our oldest son, to go with his family to an old Atlanta Thrasher's hockey game downtown. I guess they were at the old Omni or Phillips, whatever it was back then. And they went through the um, souvenir shop. And my oldest son, I I collected and still do coffee mugs. Candace hates them because I got too many of them. We don't know where to put them. And we're paying to have to store all those stupid things. And Brandon came home that night from the hockey game, and he said, Dad, look what I bought you. <laughs> he, he, he bought me a shot glass. And I thought, did the family from our church see you? And the next morning, Barry called me. I'll never forget it. He goes, Pastor Chuck, I need to talk to you about what Brandon bought. He said, my dad collects these. He... <laughs> He loves them. Shot glasses. This is the actual shot glass. I keep it on my, in our master bathroom right there so I can see it. Because, and sometimes I've been tempted to put something in there and drink a little bit of it. A joke, I'm just kidding. Um, But serving, some of you, do you serve anywhere? especially in the kingdom. Perhaps we're not wired to be Mary's yet. God can't trust the intimate places we would abort. We, we're not open to receiving it. We're not servants. Serving has a way of revealing to yourself stuff you don't even know about yourself. Some of you, if you were to, let's say, volunteer to work in the nursery one Sunday, a quarter. If some of you would do it once a year, and it gets quiet going, I, ain't, I don't do children. What if God called you to? And all this training in the church where we want to match people's gifts, We don't have enough places that are custom made for you to serve and not feel the sacrifice, okay? If you could just, some of you all, if you just drove a shuttle bus for Elliot, two Sundays in, you'd be going, I can't, these people don't know what they're doing. You and your educated North Atlanta type A self would be going, the church, they need to get a clue. They need to be more organized. I sat over there by the Grocery store for 35 minutes and only had two people get on the bus. You'd be thinking for a reason why they don't know what they're doing. This is useless. This is stupid. When God's all of a sudden just trying to help you understand, you have a need to be in control. You have a need to be in charge. You have a need to feel special. And it would expose that. And it would bring about some humility. It's getting quiet up in here this morning. (laughs) Some of you ought to go and work with Pastor Cindy and sleep in the heat, the camp, one week of summer camp. 
It'd do wonders. You'd go, wow, we need to pray for this generation. Some of these stories are amazing. I need to help pastors. I need to go with pastors. I need to get involved. There's needs out there. Instead of playing that white collar, we hire people to take care of our yard, change our oil, and do everything. In the kingdom, we need some people that quit judging, quit talking about, well, if I was the pastor, if you were the pastor, you wouldn't make it six months. I'm barely making it. All we're doing is saying, just help us a little bit. It's the way the kingdom works. Get involved. Serve somewhere. And watch God change you. If all he did was deliver you from your fear of, I can't be surprised. I got to be in control. I got to always, my makeup, I got to, and I need a selfie while I'm in here serving, changing these diapers. Am I talking to anybody? I'm talking to the people beside you, not you. Am I right? Brother, I know, I told you, I'm bringing spinach this morning. I'm bringing collard greens. But I'm telling you, the way to get Jesus into your family this year at Christmas is for you to say, I am the Lord's servant. May it be unto me according to your word. Come on, if you're going to praise him, shout unto him like you believe it this morning. There's so much to say about this. The word deacon, the deacons, the Wake Forest demon deacons. The word means to serve. Latin, the word minister means minus, the root word, less. I'm reminded, John 3.30, less of me, Lord, more of you. For years, I, I'm belaboring this point. There's stuff just coming to my heart right now. You know, it's in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, where the Bible says, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Numbers 12. Who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses did. For years, I thought, what a clueless Another, he's probably in his 30s, male, no self-awareness, you know. But then I, through the years, I've thought about it. At that point in his life, he had been used. He had seen miracles. He knew at the backside of the desert when he took his shoes off on that burning bush, God, you got the wrong guy. And now he's brought him out of bondage, 10 plagues, saw the river part and God has used him in an amazing way and he's now being honest going Moses I know me I'm honest about if God can use me he can use anybody God wants to bring you to a place of genuine authentic humility where you're okay looking like a foot washer like Jesus can somebody say amen? Come on, can you, Pastor Chuck, it's Christmas for Pete's sake. It's Christmas. I'm tr can you open yourself up to a, a new wineskin? Can you open yourself up to the Bible way? What could happen in your business if you embrace, what could happen in your family? 
What could happen in your neighborhood if we embraced the simple response of Mary? I'm your servant. I receive your word. How many of you are open to it? Come on. Second thing. Serving positions you to experience the power of God working in you and through you. Say it with me. In you. Say it. In you and through you. Now say in me and through me. God, listen, serving positions you to experience the power of God working in me and through me. God wants to do for you what he did for Mary. He wants to overshadow you. Everybody listen. God wants the story of your life, the biography of your life to one day read what he did in and through you was so amazing that everyone knows he did it. Are y'all out there? I've said this before. God wants, if your high school 10th grade English teacher comes to your funeral, God wants to do so much in your life that she will ask herself, I thought this was Chuck Ramsey's funeral. That's not the kid I knew in 10th grade. God wants to, at the end of your story, for it to be so grand, so many miracles, so much change that came through you, the way he used you, the way he blessed you, the way he raised you up, for it to be almost unbelievable for the people who know you best. How many of you need some transformation and you welcome it? How many of you would love for your future to kind of blot out your past and what people have thought about you? Are y'all out there, anybody? Come on, in the name of Jesus. This is where I'm tempted to get off the rails a little bit. Y'all get that Christmas spirit, that glazy Christmas Krispy Kreme spirit. God wants to shake us up. He wants to break up the old wineskin. He wants you to be a person of miracles. He wants you to be a person of faith. He wants you to pray bigger prayers. He wants you to ask him for more. He needs some people in the earth right now that will say, God, make me a container for your glory. In Philippians chapter 2, we see Jesus. Everything that made him someone that God could do something supernatural in and through. Philippians 2, look what it says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. God, help us do that. Don't look only to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. God, help us do that. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used by, to his own advantage. He read the biggest miracle in the Bible. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature, not the position, not the title, the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He was okay. God was okay to look like a human so that he could reach us. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue, 
acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see this template right here. If we can do this, what's the end result? This isn't just the story of what God did or wants to do in the life of Jesus. It's the story of if you'll humble yourself, if you'll run around not flashing your I'm the man card, if you'll prefer others, become obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Bible says that therefore God exalted him and gave him a name that's above every. And what's the end result? God's glory in the earth. Are you big enough Christian to realize and think God wants to get glory from your life, Tim? Like God wants people to see your life and go, praise God. Not what a man. Where'd you learn that? That skill set. You're so talented, so charming. If God could make us containers for his glory, there's no limit to what he could do in the earth. Are y'all out there, somebody? So make us a container for your glory, Lord. There's so much to say. Thirdly and finally is this. Y'all realize at 12:11 we're on the last point of this sermon? God is giving us great capacity to do great things today, isn't it? Some of y'all are reserved because you know because we're on the last point does not have anything to do with how close we are to the end of the sermon. <laughs> God help us. Lastly, serving changes things and people. It changes the people being served and the one serving. God deliver us from green room mentalities in a selfie culture, a self-preserving and self-promotional culture of ministry. It's killing the effectiveness of the church. God help us. Mary was a servant to carry out God's purpose for her life would require her to maintain her position as a servant. The whole world was depending on her. God was choosing to partner with a 14, 15-year-old virgin girl who was not yet married to save the whole world. He was bringing her into his enterprise of redemption because she was a servant and he needed a trustworthy one to bring the Messiah. There's three or four different ways I had considered to close this. But I want to close again like I did in the first service. The story of Ruth. If you haven't read it, four small chapters in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. And I know most of you know that story, but many don't. And I want to speak to the seventh grade young man or woman who doesn't know the story. So there's a Jewish lady who has, is married and has two sons. And there's a famine in God's country in Judah. So they leave and go to Moab 
to where the Moabites, heathens, live. It's always dangerous to take your family to Moab. Her two boys marry two Moabite women. While they're there, her sons die and her husband. So now all it is is Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And she says to them, I'm going back to where my people are. You all stay and get yourself another husband. And one of them says, fine, that's what I'll do. But Ruth, and this is where the beautiful story, where she says, no, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. And so Ruth goes with her mother-in-law, and they get back over to where God's people live. And Ruth has a heart to serve her, to take care of her. And so what does she do? The only thing she can do, she goes out into a field where they're harvesting the crops. And she comes in behind them and she starts picking up things they didn't see, get, or they dropped. And she would take it back. She didn't know that field was owned by a wealthy man named Boaz. She's doing her thing. Boaz catches her eye. She catches his attention. Long story short, they get married. And it's a beautiful story of redemption. And Ruth and her husband Boaz become the grandparents of King David. And she gets brought into Matthew 1 listed in the genealogy of Jesus. All because she said, no, I'm going to do the right thing, the humble thing. I'm going to serve you, even if it's getting and living off of people's scraps. And God had divinely arranged her to have a husband named Boaz. Jensen Franklin is the one who said this at John Hagee's church. So it's, I'm just quoting the godly man, Jensen Franklin. You can do things your way, but you may never find your Boaz. You may find a broke as, a lazy as, a sorry as, a lame. And that's what we do. And we need counseling and help and prayer and pity because we're the victim. Shake that stuff off. Listen, a little widow girl out picking up scraps and God has her on his radar. And she gets, as a Moabitess woman, brought into the genealogy, the, great, the grandmother of King David. There's a message in this for every one of us, not just single women, but men, women, boys, and girls. Could you get the heart of Mary and say, I am a servant of the Lord. I receive your word. How many of you can do that right now? We're going to come in for a landing. I just, there are, seeing McKenna come up here earlier, watching the Lord raise up this group of um, 
young adults at our church. How, how awesome it is. And Candace and I have talked. It's like there's a paternal love. It's like we don't have seven children anymore. We have like a lot more than that. And Because I know how strategic this season of your life is. And how the enemy wants you to, to believe God doesn't know where you are. He doesn't reward serving in the secret place, in a humble place. And so we compromise and sell ourselves short. And we marry a broke, lazy. Or we run with people who are less than. And I just want to declare, if you will serve humbly with no need to be recognized or honored, and you limit the selfies, God will promote and bless you and raise you up. He'll have to tell your story. Y'all out there. Um, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, would you just stand with me? I, I, I feel a, God wants to seal His Word by His Spirit. There's a spirit of prophetic utterance coming up on this house again right now. In the name of Jesus. How many of you just raise your hand? Don't raise them yet. i got a question for you. That you'll say, sometimes doubt creeps in and it affects my behavior, my thoughts. Just raise your hand in the name of Jesus. How many of you have ever felt forgotten, left out? Forgotten that your past failures have disqualified you for future blessing? Raise your hand in the name of Jesus. Now, how many of you know the devil's a liar? He's a liar. And the word of the Lord this morning is the way of the womb. God wants to come touch the most inti intimate, reproductive system in your life to multiply His kingdom in you and through you. Can you embrace that? Now, it'll cause you to walk differently. We've had a couple of our children recently have babies. Sweet little Caroline. She used to be a ballerina, but she wasn't walking like a ballerina when she was about eight months pregnant. It affected her walk. You know what I mean? How I many of you know when you carry Jesus intimately, it'll affect your walk? Amen? How many of you want to be pregnant? with Jesus spiritually. Hold it up. It, you're going to need the Lord's favor, but He will send it in the name of Jesus. Come on, just now, would you position yourself, Lord? Position yourself for Him by His Spirit to make you good soil. That seed gets planted down deep. And the wind, the waves don't come, knock it off, uproot it. It gets planted it doesn't grow up among the thorns and the weeds and get plucked. It's good seed in good soil. And God is raising up a harvest through you of righteousness in the name of Jesus. Come on, just commit your ways to the Lord. We praise you. Worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Do you are all things you deserve.
ask you just, just for a second, I'm going to let you go. I feel a collective call for us to connect our faith by way of touching each other. If there's somebody standing next to you, you don't have to hold them hand to hand or anything, but would you put your hand on somebody's shoulder? And I want you to just, don't pray for yourself right now. I just want you to speak over them. Encouragement. Pray a prayer of breakthrough over them. The holidays bring out all kinds of emotions. Some people fear the holidays. God's going to move on some people in this church to invite a single adult, a single parent to join them for Christmas. We're a family here, and I want you to just join with each other right now. And collect, collectively, we pray covering and blessing, and strength and life over each other. Encouragement, joy restored in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it, Lord. As you look back on 2023, there's some stuff in the rearview mirror, and that's where it's supposed to be. In the name of Jesus, and God's calling you to move forward. Just speak life. Pray blessing over them. Pray a spirit of servanthood over them. Faith to embrace the word, to be people of the word in the name of Jesus. Speak healing and life right now in the name of Jesus. Restored marriages, prodigal sons and daughters, come home in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it, Lord. We praise you in the name of Jesus. The of it all. Oh, you are the of it all. Oh, for from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve glory. One more time. Now may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, may he be gracious unto you, lift his countenance upon you, and give you peace. What do you say? Receive it in Jesus' name. God bless you, everybody. Have a good afternoon.